This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at LeBanc St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Two kings. Um, I've got to, uh, chapter 8. Wait, no, it's not. <laughs> what have I done here? I've done a job. Okay, let's... Um, sorry. 2 Kings 4, verse 8. That's what I wanted. I've got that wrong. And it's the story of the Shemanite woman and her son being restored to life. Okay. So one day, Elisha went to, the Sh- to Shuman and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he passed by and stopped there to eat, she said to her husband, I know this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room for him on the roof and let's put in a bed, a, tr- a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Jehazel, um, call the Shumanite. So he called her, and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, Tell her, You have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home amongst my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Jehazel said, She has no son, and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, Call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. About this next time... This, about this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, do not mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to, to, to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on his lap, on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I may go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, Lead on. Don't slow for me unless I tell you. So she went, set out, and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When she saw in the distance the man of God, um, no, when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Jehazel, Look, there is the Shemanite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God on the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Jehazel came over to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress because the Lord has hidden it from me and did not tell me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said. Did I, didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Jehazel, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the mother, child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. 
Jehazel went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there wasn't a sound or a response. So Jehazel went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying on the ca- on, on, dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the, on the bed and lay, his hand, lay on the boy mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out before him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room. And then he got on the bed and sneezed uh, and stretched. <laughs> read the wrong verse then. And stretched himself out and once more. The boy sneezed seven times and caught, opened his eyes. Elisha summoned, summoned Jehazel and said, Call the Shumanite. And what he did. And when she came, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, bowed on the ground, and then she took her son and went out. So in that story, we hear the account of this Shumanite woman and how she received her miracle. And I think miracles are one of these most amazing things because there's an absolute pleasure when you see somebody who's experienced a miracle, who's had a moment where God's done something supernatural, and they're telling you the story, and their face just shines with pure joy as they they explain what's happened. And I think in life sometimes some miracles are really big and they're hard to miss. But there's other miracles that go on day on, day out, in, day out that are smaller miracles that sometimes it's so easy to miss what God is actually doing. Little things where God's just providing for our needs. Little t- moments where he's, he's going before us and actually preparing the way. I'm just thinking back in my own life and stories of, of when, um, well, last time that I was here and then I moved back to England, I went through a period where actually I had no money. I, I, I was completely sort of messed up and things had gone a bit wrong and I hadn't got a really good job and it wasn't really paying for my bills and I was renting a house and things were just completely messed up. But all the way through that circumstance, God was just doing little miracles day in, day out. And he, was then, he then established me from one job to another job to another job. And I got promoted about three times in the space of 12 months. And I went from like a, a salary was barely paying to a salary that was covering all my needs. And it, sometimes it's really, we might say, well, that was just because you were working hard. That was just because um, you were doing good um, and you did well. But actually, no, I believe God was doing miracles ahead of me. And he was actually working before me and was just preparing ground. And so I just want to reveal, um, I, I was really thinking about what I should sort of talk on, and, and, and I really felt like this story was just something that just kept stirring in my heart. And I was like, God, what are you trying to say? And I, I want to share some keys that I think are to releasing the miraculous in our lives. Um, these aren't a method. I don't believe that we can methodize miracles. I think it's something that God's in control of. But the things that actually if we put into our lives are good good um, traits, good character aspects, and things that we can do that will help us release the miraculous in our life. So the first one was this, is the woman made room for God. And this is what this woman did. She created a room specifically in her house for the man of God. She said, listen, I don't want you just to come and be, and to come round for a cup of tea in my house. I'm going to create a room for you to come and dwell. And I think there's a very big difference between inviting God to come and be part of our life and letting him take over our entire life. 
There's a big difference. And God wants to take over our entire life. He wants to be the Lord of our lives. And we need to create room for God to take over our li- in our lives. Because if we don't give him the room, we don't give him the authority to move in our life. If we're constantly trying to keep control of what's going on, if we're constantly keeping hold of everything really close and we're constantly trying to grasp it back from God's grasp, we're not allowing him to move. And God wants to move in our lives. He wants to take over. He wants to have his authority and wants to move in your life. And so we need to create room for him. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how when you go to visit somebody's home, if you're just a visitor, you know, you go there on your best behaviour. And I'm sure when Elisha first went, that's what he was like. You know, he took his shoes off at the front door. He would have sat very nicely. He would have used his table manners. He would have drank his tea with his pinky up. He would have done everything to make sure that he kept, you know, a good image. But when you'd live somewhere... You change how you relate in that place. You might throw your shoes off and they might just end up somewhere in the room. You might, you know, um, leave your cup on the side. You might, you know, all sorts of different ways that we behave when we're actually in somewhere that is our home as opposed to somewhere that we're just visiting. And I don't know about you, but I want God to, to, in my life, to be like he's living there. To have full control. To have full ability. I want God to have full ability in this church. It was not to hold him back, not to control him, but to let him loose and to do exactly what he needs to do, to move in the way that he wants to move. And, you know, I think so easily it's for us to restrict God. It's so easy for us to, 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 to try and control God, but we want to release God to do everything that he wants and to move in all his power. Matthew 6, 33 says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I think that's just really powerful that says we need to seek God first. We need to create that room for God first. He should be our number one priority in life. You know, it's so easy. I keep getting challenged about things that I spend my time on and and about how I spend my life. And, uh, you know, it's amazing that Every time that I sort of listen to where God's telling me to stop doing things, and every time that, you know, and it might be small things. You know, for, for me, when I was in London, one of the things that God really spoke to me about was Facebook. You know, I'm not, not a big Facebook user. I don't go on there and I don't type loads of statuses. You'll never see my Facebook profile very active. But one thing I used to do is I would used to go in the, in the morning, I'd be flicking through on the train to work. And I'd be reading all the, all the updates. And then I'd get to lunchtime and, and I'd be flicking through. And I'd be going to the tea room and I'd be flicking through Facebook. And then I'd go on the train home and I'd be flicking through Facebook. And then in the evening I'd be flicking through Facebook. And I was like, I'm not even posting anything. I'm just reading other people's lives. And it was the first thing that I would do in the morning. And it would be almost the last thing I'd do at night. And then God spoke to me and he said, Why? 
And I, I, you know, it took a long time and God challenged me and I said, actually, do you know what? I need to give that up. So I deleted the app off my, I'm not telling you that Facebook's bad, by the way. You know, I'm not saying that. But, um, it, it was my heart. It was something in my heart. Actually, I needed to create room for God. And so I began to change. I began to then put things into my life that actually was creating room for God. So when I got up in the morning, the first thing that I did was read my Bible. The second thing I did is I was walking to work and going on the train to work. I would listen to the word of God. On the train home, I would listen to the Word of God. I created room for God to speak to me each morning. What room are we creating for God to dwell in our life? What room are we creating so that He doesn't just drop in, but He dwells in our whole life and takes over? So the first thing was that the woman made room for God. The second thing is the woman prepared in a good season. I love valley experiences. And I know that's a really weird thing to say, but you know, when you go through valleys, when you go through tough times, they're the times when God really stands out. I can think of the most key moments in my life as being valley moments. The moments where God's revealed himself to be the Lord of my life. They're the moments when God's actually said, listen, here I am, and showed up in all force and all power and all might and said, this is what I do. But then there's something special about the mountaintop experiences as well. When everything's going smooth, when everything's going well and life just is at that point where you've gone through tough times and then you come to the top of a valley and you're looking out and you're seeing the beauty of everything that's gone on. And it's often in the mountaintop experiences that it really reveals how great God's moved in the valleys. But when we're in the mountaintop experiences, it's very easy to become uh, for us to, to begin to slow down on the things that we were doing in the valleys. Maybe praying a bit less. Maybe seeking God a bit less because life's good. We become, um, we become um, satisfied with where we're at because we're on a mountaintop, because it looks great. Because we've had this great moment of experience. And the mountaintops can often be the points where Maybe our our relationship with God just slides a little bit because everything seems so good that we don't really need him at that moment in our lives. This woman, right at the beginning of the passage, it tells us she was a well-to-do woman. She was rich. And after the woman had prepared the room for Elisha, he asked her what she can do. Can he, can he go and speak to the king? Can he go and speak to the leaders of the army? And she says, no, my family look after me. They take good care of me. I think this woman was saying, listen, I'm in a good experience right now. I haven't got any worries. I haven't got any problems. I've got money. I've got position. I'm, I'm fine. I'm being taken care of. I've got a roof over my head. But yeah, she still took time out to create the room for God. She still took time to create the room for Elisha. And I think there's something really important about that, that when things are going everything really well, when we're not struggling to pay the bills, when every life is all really good and perfect, that actually we continue to create room for God. We continue to create room. We continue to grow. We can continually strive to go further in our relationship with God. When we're on the mountains, I believe that our character is fully defined. 
What do I mean by that? I mean it's when we're on the mountaintops and everything's going well and our, we begin to seal still carry on seeking God. That's when our character is set in place. In the valleys, we learn about trusting in God. We learn about um, living life under God's rule. But in the mountaintops, when we begin, everything's going well. That's the moments when our character and our habits can be defined. And what habits are we defining in the mountaintop experiences? What, what are we defining right there when everything's going well? What are we doing to ensure that we're still pushing forward with our relationship with God? Proverbs 6, 6 to 11 says this. You lazy fool, you look like an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell you what it, what it to do. Sorry, nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it stores up food. At harvest it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to be lazing around doing nothing? How long before you get out of bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do what you know comes next. Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life, poverty, and your permanent house guest. That's in the message. I think what we do in good seasons really matters. It prepares us for the hard, tough seasons of life and gets us ready to face the challenges. Mountaintops are just incredible. I was just thinking about what the, the importance of mountaintops. And so I just thought I'd you know, do a little bit of checking of context of what was going on in mountains. And in Exodus 20, we read about the story of Moses on Mount Sinai the moment where the glory of God passes Moses and it changes his face. A moment where God etched the Ten Commandments into stone. The word of God was delivered in a profound way for all the people of Israel. In 1 Kings 18, we hear the story of Elijah calling down fire from heaven and God sending his fire to burn up the offering and defeating the false prophet. In Matthew 17, Jesus' glory is revealed when the king of kings was transfigured and his clothes and face shone bright white. God spoke over him that this was his son and he was well pleased. There's something about mountaintop experiences when we continue to push into God that releases the supernatural. And I think it's really important when things are going well in our life we continue to push and create more room for God. So number three, the woman ran to God when adversity came. What did this woman do when the issues of life came about? She ran to God. Two Kings 8, uh, no, two Kings uh, from the passage, verse 22 to 24 says, she called her husband and said, please, Send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. I just love that attitude that says, tough times have come. Tough moments in life rise And we'll all go through tough moments. We'll all go through adversity. We'll all go through moments that are really difficult. But it's how we respond to those moments that's key. It's how we respond to those moments that affect how the miraculous, I think, is released. We need to learn that God is the answer to everything. 
We need to learn to seek him first. Does that mean we can't be upset or grieve or go through, you know, uh, when the circumstances of life hit us? No, but it's how we react. Who do we turn to for our support? Who do we turn to for and who do we trust? We need to stop coming up with our own solutions to life's problems and turn to God and get his wisdom, get his knowledge, get his influence in our life and then approach it from his point of view. Too often we try and manage our own lives and actually God's waiting on the side wings saying, listen, I've got the answer. I've got the solution right here. If you just turn to me, I'll deliver it for you. But we're so busy making our own management techniques of how to manage our situations that God's left out of the circumstance. I think sometimes we need to lay down our problems, lay down our, our, our concerns at God's feet and just say before him, listen God, I'm, I'm tired of trying to manage my own life. I'm tired of trying to keep control of everything. I'm tired of trying to juggle all these balls at the same time. Will you just come and will you just take over? Will you just do your supernatural work in my life? And God will always turn up. He will always answer us. It might not be in the way that we always think he will turn up, but he will always turn up. As I was sort of thinking about this, I started to think about, well, why aren't we seeing more miracles in our countries? Why are we not seeing more miracles in in the UK like we hear about in Africa or China or in the third world nations? Why is God moving more there? And I think sometimes it's because of our ability to to leave God out of circumstances. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And Heidi Baker, from uh, who's a missionary in Mozambique, she's one of the most incredible women of God who runs massive orphanages and the children she raises in her orphanages pray for the sick and they get healed. They... Um, pray for the dead and they rise up I don't know about you but I want to see our kids doing that and she's seen many many miracles in her time constant miracles happening and if you read any of her books she just stuns you about the things that, that the stories of, of people being healed and, and um, lives transformed by her work and she says this I believe Jesus meant that the poor in spirit is a posturing of the heart where one is wholly given, fully yielded, completely desperate and totally dependent on God alone. I think that's a beautiful description of how we should be wholly given, fully yielded, completely desperate and totally dependent on God. And I think the woman in this story knew the importance of running to God for her answers. She knew he was the source of everything and he was the one who was going to deliver her. And so when adversity comes to our life, who or what is the first thing we turn to? God or man? So the fourth thing is the woman held on to a promise despite the adversity. And the woman had been given a promise by Elisha that she would have this son. And she'd even said to him, you know, don't sort of, don't... Um, don't sort of tease me. 
uh, you know, you're promising me a son. And then she comes, when she gets to do it to Elisha, she says this, did I not, did I ask for a son, my Lord? She asked. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha and Jehazel said to Jehazel, tuck in your coat and your belt and your staff in your hands and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anybody greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. And the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. She held on to that promise. She said, you know, here is Elisha, the man of God. And this woman runs up to him and he's already, Elisha's already sent his servant off and said, listen, this staff will probably do it. Here's the staff. Um, Run off. Go and put this on the boy's face. And the woman's there like, no, I'm holding on to the promise that you've given me. I'm holding on to the things that you've given me. I'm not going to let it go. You're going to have to move. And then what promises have God has given you? But perhaps we've let slip. Maybe troubles have come and, and you feel that that promise can't be achieved no more. You feel like you've been defeated by the things of circumstances of life. Maybe you've done things and, and, and there's things that we've done wrong and, and you almost feel like that, that promise will never come into fruition. Psalms 33 verse 11 says, But the plans, I have, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purpose of his heart through the generations. Psalm 20 verse 4, May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Psalm 37 4, 5, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. And I love the way that in those scriptures it says plans. It doesn't say that God's got one plan for our life. And I think sometimes we think when things go wrong that God's plans are going to suddenly fail. We feel that we've messed up God's perfect plan and and all of a sudden those things, those promises that God's got for us are just going to fail and fall over. But God's got plans for us. It's a plural. I don't think he's got one single method of getting you there. He's got a plan A and a plan B and a plan C. And we might put roadblocks and diversions in the way, but God's always got a plan. He will always get you to the point where he wants and he sees you to be your, the, your final destination and the person that he wants you to be. And I think it's our responsibility, it's our job to keep hold of that promise and say, listen, God, you promised me this. You've promised me this. You said that, that this circumstance will be dealt with. You said that when you went to the cross that my sickness was dealt with. And we've got to hold on to those promises and say, listen, I'm not going to let go of this promise. I'm not going to let go of you. I'm going to keep hold of you and I'm going to keep running towards you. And whatever circumstances keep cropping up, whatever things keep happening, I'm going to keep hold and I'm going to keep running towards you and to your arms. And he will always come through. He is in complete control. Even if we mess up and get it wrong, He is in control. And every plan he's got is just as perfect as the last one. So when it feels like the bottom of our world has fallen out, he is still in control. When it feels that life circumstances are too much, he is still in control. When everything feels wrong, he is still in control. 
His plans are perfect. And he will get you through that moment if we just keep holding on. Fifth thing from this story is Elisha sent his staff to be placed on the boy. And the staff, I don't know much about their staff, but I'm sure it was just a piece of wood. It was a walking stick. But the component that gave it life and power, authority and supernatural ability, was that God himself was connected to the one who owned it. So what do I mean by that? It was Elisha's staff. He owned that staff. And Elisha was a man called by God. He was a man who was called to speak the word of God. He was anointed by God. And because of Elisha's relationship, there was something about this staff that brought it authority, life and power. It's very similar to it, the, the materials that Paul gave in the New Testament. And so when Elisha sent the staff on ahead of him, he was sending the power of God to move in that situation. And I think this speaks to the power of prayer. The power of prayer in our lives. The power of prayer as a, a, a body of people. And the importance of praying. It's through prayer that we access life, power and authority and supernatural abilities. Prayer is life bringing. You know, we all wouldn't be in this room today if somebody at some point in time hadn't prayed for us. There's been somebody before you, you might not even have known them, but somebody at some point has prayed for your salvation. It's life bringing. It's through that that we've come into a relationship with God. We've had the blind, we've had the veil that's over our eyes torn away and we can suddenly see the truth. And then through that then we become into a relationship with God and we can go into eternal life. It, prayer is life bringing. Prayer releases the power of God. It causes us to come into alignment with God's will. It doesn't change God's mind. It changes us to come into alignment with Him. It releases His power in our life. And the Holy Spirit, when we pray, fills us with His power and His authority. And through that comes supernatural abilities to assist us in sharing the gospel to the world around us. Prayer is vital in our lives as a personal relationship thing between us and God, but also as a body that we pray together is so vital and so important. Because what we're doing when we come together as a body and we pray and we seek God's face is we're changing lives. We're releasing the supernatural we're releasing God on this island and saying, God, will you move in this place? Will you come and bring your Holy Spirit and change lives and change people's hearts and change and, and, and give them eternal life? And, and it's only through prayer that these things can happen. And I, I can't stress the importance of prayer enough. So that Elisha sent the staff to be placed on the boy's body. And the last thing... Number six is Elisha stretched himself out. And here he wasn't having a little sleep. 
Interestingly, if you go back and you read Elijah, you'll see in 1 Kings 17, you can see a very similar story where Elijah lays on a child, uh, his body three times and he's brought back to life. And I believe this tells us the importance of submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the, the stretching out or the, or the lying prostrate before God is a sign of, of humility. It's a sign of actually of, of, of laying ourselves down before God and saying, listen, you're in complete control. Your glory is, is far bigger than me. And I think at this moment, he lay down on this child's body and he says, listen, it's, it's only going to be by God's power that something's going to happen. It wasn't a method, but it was God. It was the Holy Spirit prompting him to move in that way, saying, no, my power is sufficient. And it says that he laid himself and he, he, with a boy mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, he was face to face with this child. It must have been quite difficult, really, if you think about it. A child and a grown man, you know, it, it was, must have been quite tough. And as the boy lay there, Elisha's warm breath began to breathe on the lifeless child. In the same way, we need the Holy Spirit to breathe on us. We need the Holy Spirit to breathe a fresh breath of fire in us, our lungs. We need our hearts to be set on fire once again. I don't know about you, but I feel like more and more this island needs more of God. This church needs more of God. Not so that we can come on a Sunday and have a a nice meeting and we can all leave feeling warm and that warm glowing inside that's really nice but that's not why we need more of God we need more of God because there's people in this island who are going to hell because they don't have a relationship with God and the more of God that's inside of me the more that can spill out to the people around me and I feel so strongly that we need to come and we need to lay ourselves before God and say listen God I'm tired of trying to control I'm tired of trying to hold on to things Look, God will you just come and will you pour out your spirit upon my life will you pour out your spirit upon me and fill me so much that I just overspill to the people around me and wherever I walk there's just a footprint of Jesus behind me oh that we would just come And we would have the Holy Spirit breathe fresh fire in our lungs, in our breath. John 20, 22 says, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus. Oh, that he would come and he would breathe on us and we would receive his Holy Spirit in such a fresh way. That we would become fully submitted to God. that we would create room for him to move in our lives. So much that it allows the Holy Spirit to do whatever he needs to do in order to change the worlds around us. That when we go out and there's people around us who are sick, that we could lay our hands on them and we could pray and that they would be healed instantly. It's not by our power. It's never going to be by our mind, but it's always going to be by his spirit moving through us. So whether you're in a good season 
or you're going through a tough time. I want to encourage you today to create room for God to move. To create room for God to have his way in this place. To create room for his Holy Spirit to fill you once again, like never before, so that we can change this island, so we can see souls saved and people come into the kingdom. Maybe we just close our eyes. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you're a God who cares about everything that we go through. You care about the good moments and you care about the tough moments. The same, Father God. And, and there's not one person in this room that your thoughts aren't incredible and that you just want the best for each one of us, Father God. God, we thank you that your, your plans for us are so incredible that, God, we can't even imagine of the places that you want us to go and the things that you want us to do. And God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is available for each one of us. And God, that you want to come and you want to touch and you want to change and you want to help us on that path, Father God. Lord God, I thank you that when you went to the cross, there wasn't one thing that you didn't defeat right there. That my sin was nailed to that cross. That my sickness was nailed to that cross. To my mental anguish was nailed to that cross. God, we thank you that everything that we need, oh my Lord, my debt was nailed to that cross. There's not one thing, Father God, that you didn't defeat right there. And Father God, I pray for anybody today, Lord who's going through circumstances, Lord, that you would help them. Give over control to you, Father God. And God, I pray for every single one of us that you would help us create more room for you to move in our lives. God, that we would become more uh, yielded to your Holy Spirit in our lives, Father God. That we'd hand over full control to you each and every day. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.